Good morning, church. How are you doing today? Uh, I was sharing at uh, the first service in the morning that I was a kind of concerned the first time I came here because I knew Pastor Kai uh, was, allow, was going to allow me to preach one of the messages on the series, and I saw he was, um, he was preaching without a pulpit. So it was, I was like, he's holding the Bible all the time during the service. It must be very tiring, and I'm not used to it. So I was so concerned and glad that you have one. But then, in the morning, the, this microphone didn't work. So I had to hold this uh, other microphone, which is as heavy as a Bible. So I don't know. Anyway, I'm thankful for the team that we're able to fix this one right now. So I'm, I'm going to have more freedom to move my arms. Um, I am so thankful, and it's a privilege for me to, to preach the third message on the series, I Am a Christ Follower. Uh, the, first, uh, the first two messages focus on worship, where we saw the heart of worship and the action of worship. Now, I've been granted the privilege to preach on the heart, heart of community, and uh, be, next week, Pastor Kai is going to focus on the action of community, but for us... To, to put uh, the heart of community in action, we first must have the grounds and the foundations in our hearts, uh, a heart ready to be put in action. So let's pray for God to bless our time this morning that he may help us to have that kind of heart. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, your word, that it's a light for our feet, so that we can follow you and rely on you and your instruction, the love that you have for your children, that we may live lives that walk according to you, that please you, that depend on you. And this is our desire this morning. Would you align our hearts? Would you give us the heart of community this morning so that we can put into practice all the instruction that you have given to us. Would you realign our hearts if our hearts are not aligned somehow? You know better, you know our hearts. We just trust that your word has power to transform, to save, to change your people. And this is in whom we rely, in you only. That's why we ask from your spirit that you would give us more of the spirit to be transformed, to hear to be doers and not only listeners of your word. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So it was two years ago when I met a pastor. This pastor uh, used to work as a chaplain in a hospital. So he shared with me that one of the things that he, one part of his job or his duties was to go and pray for the sick. So he would go and pray for the sick and he shared with me something very interesting, that when he prayed for, for people, especially those who, were, who had a critical illness, who were prescribed with uh, something very critical that, that you may, may think they are about to die in a couple of months or so, he said, I, I noticed something. I noticed that they had on, their side, on the side of their bed uh, pictures, pictures of people they loved maybe their family or, or the people they love the most. And that was a pattern I saw in those people who basically knew they were about to be gone. And he said, 
the interesting part that I never saw a picture of, of, of their nice houses or nice possessions, like their nice cars that they, that they accumulated during those years. It was the picture of the people they loved the most that they had. They understand, they understood that their possessions, but not people they love, like their family, who really matter in life. They knew that family is who really matter at the end of the day, the people they love the most, their closest relatives. So they, the, the pastor said that usually those kind of people want family close to express their deepest desires before they depart from this world. And our passage in, 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 of our text this morning in the narrative of the Gospel of John is in a similar situation where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, after having spent three years pouring into the disciples, caring for them, teaching them, loving them, now he's about to face death and depart from this world to be with his Father in heaven, the place where he originally belongs to. So in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, Christ has not been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Yet as the Son of God, he knows that his time is about to come to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin, as a substitute for our sins, to carry our sins on a cross, the heinous sin that you and me have. So chapter 17 begins with a prayer where we can see Jesus' last desires for his people, which is the title of my sermon. In verses 20 to 26 from chapter 17, we see Jesus' last desires for those people from the world that he loved. And just like a dying man or a dying uh, woman would express their last desires to their children, the things that they want them to treasure in their hearts before they are gone, also Jesus in this prayer, he speaks out his heart for his people. He highlights the things that matter the most in life, the things that, they wants, that he wants his community of people to experience after his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. So we read in verse 20, I do not ask for this only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So the this only of verse 20 refers to the disciples, the apostles. So in previous verses of this chapter, Jesus began a prayer where he first began praying for himself, followed by praying for the disciples, the apostles, and after now he transitions in verse 20 to pray for those who will believe by their word, the word that has been entrusted to the disciples. So in other words, Jesus is saying, this small group of people, namely the apostles, will, they believe my word. Now it won't be me who will continue to spread the word, but those people, the apostles, so that the bigger group, another group of people who will believe, can know about me, can know about uh, my word. So in the text we see it is implied that it is the it is implied that it is the apostles that are being commissioned to echo Jesus' words. But notice that Jesus' word is being portrayed 
as if it is the apostles', the apostles word because of their union that they have now with Jesus. That's why the text says, through their word. Jesus makes no distinction here. He's saying, my word is a word because they have believed. So if you're a Christian in this room this morning, what follows after verse 20 will apply to you. Since you are claiming that you are, that you are part of that bigger group, the, the apostles... So the group of those who have believed the word of the apostles as revealed in the scriptures. So this morning, Jesus, through the word of his apostle John, wants you to know his desires for you, which he expressed, expressed moments before his crucifixion. Jesus' first desire for you, believer, is to experience unity with the Father through the Son. And we can get that from verses 21 to 23. Please listen as I read. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. After reading these three verses, a phrase that stands out in all of them is this may be one of verse 21 and 22, and also may become perfectly one of verse 23. That should serve us as an indicator of the emphasis of on oneness that supports Jesus' first desire for us. His desire is that we together with the apostles may become one, which gives us this concept of unity. But for us to understand what Jesus means by that, he adds in his prayer a play of words. So Jesus prays to his fathers in verse 21, just as you are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. That sounds kind of confusing, right? In a similar play of words, he does in verse 23. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. That makes it even more confusing. I don't know about you. It's like a tongue twister kind of thing, isn't it? It sounds like everyone has to be in everyone to become perfectly one. The Father in the Son, the Son in the Father, the believers in the Father and the Son, the Son in the believers and the Father in the Son. What does that mean? What commentator writes that what Jesus wants for his followers in these three verses is that they are to be one in purpose, in love, in action undertaken with and for one another, in joint submission to the revelation received, in order to display to the world a unity that is so compelling, so unworldly, that their witness as to who Jesus is becomes explainable only if Jesus truly is the revealer whom the Father has sent. I believe that this interpretation is a good interpretation, and it's partially right. But I, but I also believe that there is more to say to those verses. I believe that verse 22 is the key verse that will help us to nail what Jesus truly means when he desires his followers to be one. He says in verse 22, 
the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be, that they may be one, even as we are one. So what Jesus is trying to say is that this oneness of the unity he wants us to experience must be in relation with the glory that he has received from the Father that at the same time he has given to the apostles. He's saying that for his people to find unity, it is dependent on the revelation of glory that the Father gave to the Son. Two sermons ago, Pastor Kai gave us a couple of definitions of glory. He said, glory, God's glory is the weightiness of God. He also said, God's glory is what emanates from God. Both are great definitions, but in order for us to understand the use, the use of the word glory that Jesus mentioned in this passage, and to know how he wants to connect that with the oneness that he wants his followers to attain, we need to look to the overarching, to the overarching use of this word in the storyline of the Bible, and also to, to the use of this same word in the in the Gospel of the Apostle John. So before Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they had perfect communion with God. They could behold God's presence. God had fellowship with them. But they sinned, and you know what happened. Genesis 3.8 tells us, please listen as I read, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the call of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the text is telling us that Adam and Eve hid themselves from what? From the presence of of the Lord God. And you know the rest of the story. Adam and Eve were expelled from the presence of the Lord because of their disobedience. And now, because of that, all of Adam's descendants are being born in a world that lacks the fullness of the presence of God. From that point on, there will be a void and a longing in the human heart a longing to experience the presence of, of God that gives meaning to our lives. However, because of sin, the sin we have inherited from our first fathers, Adam and Eve, we will try to find meaning in other things, in created things instead of the creator. Yet in the Bible, we can find some examples of men who acknowledge their need for glory the manifestation of the presence of God. Moses, for example, when he spoke with God in the mountain, do you remember what he asked to God? God told Moses in Exodus 33, 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. What was Moses' response to that statement? Lord, please show me your glory. He wanted the presence of God. Moses knew that that was missing, and he wanted to have it back, like in the beginning with Adam and Eve. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 6 declares, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of what? Of his glory. Psalm 19.1 says, 
The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So all creation screams to our ears that there is a creator. But because there is sin, there is separation from God's presence. So I hope we get this idea from these passages. God's presence is what is missing in our lives. His presence needs to be restored. And Jesus knows that. That's why he came to show us, the Father, to restore unity in his presence. John, at the beginning of his gospel, he writes in John 1.14, and the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what glory is this text talking about? The glory of the presence of Jesus, of course. Jesus became a man. His disciples could see him. He was incarnate. God incarnate. John here is telling us we had fellowship with the Son. We experienced the presence of him in whom the whole fullness of God was pleased to dwell. John in his gospel wants to make that point very clear so that we don't miss it. Chapters later in his narrative, he writes about another apostle who didn't get it. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John 14, verses 8 to 9, so that we can read that. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have you been with me so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? Until this point, it is clear that the apostles understand that Jesus is Messiah. They understand that he is going to be the one who is going to reveal to them the Father. But what they don't get yet is that Jesus and fellowship with him is what restored what was missing. That he is the revelation of the Father. It's not like Jesus is pointing to some way, to some path for us to find, to have an encounter with the Father. He's saying, look at me. It's through me. He points to himself. He's been doing that all the time during the Gospels. That's what he's been trying to show to his disciples. That beholding the Son equals beholding the Father. That communion with the Son equals to communion with the Father. So now that we have understood this, then Jesus' first desire for his people makes sense. The unity that Jesus desires for his followers is the unity that we all must have in common. Seeking the presence of the Father through the Son, the manifestation of the character of the Son is the fullness of the manifestation of the character of the Father. And when that happens, when God's people is pursuing God's presence through the person of his Son, Jesus, then and only then their, love, their lives will be impacted then and only then they will be different from the other peoples of the world. 
then and only then our lives will be transformed. And then and only then the world has any grounds to come to the conclusion that we see repeated twice in these three verses. Verse 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me. In other words, so that the world may know that Jesus came from God. I hope that all what we've seen makes sense. That the oneness that Jesus wants us to experience with him in unity and presence to the Father is through him. Even John 17, the same chapter, verses 4 and 5, should help us to engrave that in our minds. Please listen as I read it. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So in this text that we just read, Jesus is claiming back the fullness of God's presence in the heavens that he had before the world existed. In other words, Jesus is saying to the Father, I've made known your personhood in the world. The fullness of the presence of you was displayed through me so that the world may know that that in me, the completeness of the character is being revealed. Now glorify me, Father, meaning bring me back to presence with you, the same presence I had before the world even was created. And that's the love Jesus is talking about, about here in verse 23, where it says, and love them as you loved me. How did the Father love the Son? The answer, with his presence from eternity past. How did the Father love the world? In revealing to us his presence in the Son. This in a way to display the love in ways we can barely fathom. Jesus gives himself as a sacrifice that would, be, that would bring restoration of the fellowship and community with God. Reconciliation with the Godhead through the person of his son. That's why the son can say in previous chapters, abide in me. And if you don't abide in me, you can do nothing. In other words, communion with God cannot be restored apart from me, Jesus is saying. Isn't that glorious, church? That communion with the Father cannot happen because of Jesus? That God's presence can be experienced that what Moses wanted, we can have. Pastor Kai mentioned some, some, some conversations he had with visitors of this church. How they were broken in tears because they experienced God's glory in a service like this one. Where God's people gathered together to worship, to worship and experience God. And that's what we are talking about here. Things like this happen. We can see how it is true that when we have a passionate pursuit of our God, when we want his presence in our lives, the people from the world have no other choice but to, but to admit that the Son was sent by the Father. That's what makes us different from the people of the world. This convicts the world from sin. 
When they enter to a, ser to a service in a gym like this one, where God's people gather together to be united, to pursue the presence of our God, and the lost person has no choice but to admit that this is supernatural, that God's presence must be in this place. That's awesome, but careful here because we need to understand that there is implications in this passage. The implications are that if we are not putting as our first priority in our lives, seeking the presence of God as a community, pursuing his fellowship, a communion with the Son, with the Son and with the Father and with his people, then the world has been granted a, a, a judging finger that is being implied in the text. That if they have, they have been granted permission to say the Son has not been sent. The Father didn't send the Son. They may even say, these people worship God with their lips, but in their hearts, I see hypocrisy away from the presence of God. That's how the world draws their con its conclusions. If the vertical union we claim to have with God is not being reflected among us, if communion and unity and fellowship with Jesus doesn't, doesn't happen among us, they say, that's not true. The world finds it hard to believe that communion in the presence of the Father is possible through the Son. Because Jesus is whom we proclaim, right? True personal vertical communion will always be manifested, manifested horizontally. Unity and fellowship with other believers. So Jesus wants his followers to know how this unity he wants for us to have with him through the Father is going to be manifested in the future and in a day-to-day -day basis. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Here in this text, you have Jesus' second desire for his people. This is very straightforward. Jesus' desire for his people is to experience his glory in heaven. This is the second and shortest point of my sermon. In four weeks, my family and I, Lord willing, are going to be in Mexico. And one of the questions that people is going to be asking us is, how is winter in Canada? And I think we have been around nine years experiencing winter in Canada, and that should be enough to qualify us to give an accurate answer. My, my wife and I will be able to explain the sensation you feel when you touch the snow and the quietness of the environment when the snow is falling and the, and the ground is covered by it. We will be able to to try to explain the beauty of the landscape when everything is covered by snow, when the trees look all white. We will be able to describe the pain you feel on your face when it is minus 18, but with wind chill, it means like minus 30. <laughs> we will talk about the numbness you feel in your, in, your, in your hands when you are trying to make a snowball without gloves. 
and we would be able to show them pictures and videos about our winter's experiences. Yet all of that wouldn't be enough to make them feel the experience of a true Canadian winter. The only way I could make justice to that is if I were to buy a ticket so that they can come and visit. But not Toronto, but Muskoka. <laughs> that person will have now a true experience. So in this prayer to his father, Jesus' desire in verse 24 is a similar desire. He's still on earth, but he knows that he's going back to the father. He's going back to enjoy the fullness of the presence of the father. He's going back to enjoy the Father with the enjoyment and communion that he had from eternity past. Enjoy the mutual love that existed among the triune God of the Bible. Jesus wants his followers to have the full experience. He purchased our souls with his blood so that we will be able to come to experience the fullness of the presence of the Father in the heavenly places. Jesus has revealed the Father in his fullness to us, yet he knows the process to be fully restored into God's presence won't happen immediately. Our restoration has come in, in, in its fullness, yes, but first it, it came legally speaking. We have been declared righteous when we put our faith in Jesus. When we put our faith in Christ, we, we were counted as righteous by the Father. The punishment that we deserve for our sins, was taken on our behalf. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, we died with him. His death is our death. Now his perfect life and obedience belongs to us, believers. The sin that condemned us and separated us from God now has been nailed on the cross. The resurrection that Jesus experienced after his death is now ours. We have been granted eternal life by faith in him, an eternal life that begins even now when we have put our trust, knowing him and the Father, experiencing their presence in our lives in the power of the Spirit. When we are true believers, true followers of Jesus, when we have repented from our sins, we have received the grace of God meaning we have entrusted God's provision for our sins found in his son. He's the one who justifies us. When we boast in Christ's perfect life and not in our righteousness of our own, our good works, then we are allowed into the presence and the unity with the Father through the Son. God's glory, the glory of his presence, can be experienced now. However, we still live in this fallen world. We are citizens, yes, of a heavenly kingdom, but we live in this world that is not our own, a world that hates us and seeks to destroy us. And Jesus knows that. That's why he prays like that, to comfort us, to give us some hope. His desire for that day, when we will, be, when we will have resurrected bodies, bodies glorified bodies, without sin, so that we can coexist in the fullness of the presence of a holy God for all eternity, without the stain of sin that at times interferes within our communion with God 
and with one another. He has given us that hope. He knows this is what we long for. We long to be united with the Father and the Son and to experience their presence in heaven in communion with the Godhead. So what Jesus experienced from eternity past, he wants for his people. He wants us to witness the ultimate experience. That's the experience that many of us believers will have the privilege to enjoy. And that it starts even now. But that we will be able to enjoy it in its fullness when Christ returns in his second coming. That's the future desire he wants for us, followers. That's what, that's what Christians long for. God's presence without any commercials or interruptions. When the congregations of, of the saints from every nation, tongue, and tribe will gather together as one people with one God, worship, worshiping God around the throne, to experience again that fellowship that Adam and Eve lost because of the rebellion. So brothers and sisters, if you are in this room this morning and these truths that I just spoke about don't get you excited, if you don't feel the longing in your heart, if this cannot be said of you, if your deepest desire is not to be with Jesus. That could be because, probably because what Pastor Kai said a couple of sermons ago, that you are too easily satisfied with other stuff. But let me remind you that you are missing the longing of a far greater experience in the presence of your God. Or the other case, it might be because you are not a believer this morning. You are as lost as I was before God in his mercy and grace granted me forgiveness through the Son. God wants you to also witness the ultimate experience, to be reunited to fellowship with him and communion with his people. That's what he, that's what he wants for you. And for that to happen, what God demands from you is repentance from your sins, meaning a turning away from your sins to now run to Jesus who is God's provision to appease God's holy wrath. So that when you put your trust in Jesus, you can be forgiven from your sins and restored to a newness of life where you can begin to experience the presence of the living God. So I invite you this morning, do not harden your heart. Repent and believe this message, believe the gospel. The last couple of verses of our text this morning will help us to see how the unity that Jesus desires for his followers will be manifested not only in the future, like we just saw, but in a day-to-day -day basis. So let's read, let's read those couple of verses. Verse 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and this know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. That the love which, which, with, 
which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been with a person that reminds you of someone else? For example, you are with someone and all of a sudden you start to recognize certain aspects, expressions, tones of voice, uh, phrases, smiles uh, from that other person that you know but that you don't remember. This has happened to me a couple of times. I meet this person and I begin to ask myself, where have I seen that before? Where have I seen that smile before? Where have I heard that voice before? Where have I received that kind of treatment before? Who is this person like that I know? And you cannot even concentrate in the conversation you are having with that person because you want to force your mind to bring to mind that, to mind that other person that you know that is like, like her, like him. As we try to unpack the last couple of verses of our text this morning, we will see that this is the idea at the end of Jesus' prayer. Jesus' last desire for us is found in this couple of verses to experience the Father's presence through his people. This is the last point of my sermon this morning. So in the previous verse, verse 24, Jesus addresses God calling him Father. But in the following verse, verse 25, he adds one of God's attributes to his name. So he says, O righteous Father. He calls his Father righteous. And right after that, he makes this contrast between the world who knows not the Father because of the rejection that they have for Jesus and Jesus' followers who have believed his word and that he was sent by the Father and that through him, they also can know the Father. So he says in the second part of verse 25, even though the world does not know you, I know you and this know that you have sent me. So Jesus wants to highlight here in verse 25 that his father, who is profoundly righteous in the judgment by which the world is condemned for its ignorance, while Jesus and his followers are being accepted into the presence of the father. Verse 26, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. In the Old Testament, it was very common that someone's name was directly related with that person's characteristics or attributes. His personality was intertwined with the name. And that's precisely, that, that was precisely Jesus' mission when he came to earth. In his presence, we find every aspect of his father's character. And what Jesus is or does reflects the Father in character and also in his presence. Like Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And now we know that there is no doubt that Jesus has made known the name of the Father. But in the text says that he will continue to make it known. Yet we know that Jesus, after his resurrection and ascension, he's going to abandon the disciples. He, 
he and them won't be together. They won't have his presence anymore. How is it then that he promises us that he's going to continue to make him known? I believe that the answer is in the second part of verse 26, where it says that, that the love which with you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let me ask you a question. What is the love which with the Father loved the Son? Isn't it having the presence of the Father? The presence of the Father even before creation was created? In chapter 16, Jesus talked to his disciples about this Holy Spirit. We read it in, in verse 7 of chapter 16. Please listen as I read it. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I, would, I will sell, send him to you. So Jesus is now relying in the ministry of the Holy Spirit that will dwell in the believers to continue to make known the name of the Father in other people's lives. That's why he mentions an I in them. He's saying, I will continue to manifest my love and my presence to the world through the lives of my people. So it is the Spirit that enables us to see Jesus, but it is also the Spirit that gives us the power to show Christ to others, to incarnate Christ. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that we as followers of Christ gather together, our lives must reflect the character of the Son in his conduct. That when we go to our small groups, when we serve at church to our brothers and sisters, when we come to church and welcome the stranger with gladness, that when we gather together to pray as a church, that when we are being generous or when we forgive someone that is hard to forgive, others cannot think but wonder, where have I seen that before? Hmm. In whom have I seen such a compassion? Who do this person reminds me of? Where have I seen such love? And the answer must always be the same. Of course, in Jesus, that person reminds me of Jesus. That's what, that's what I mean when I say that we must incarnate Christ. We need to live as a community of believers that is so uncommon our lives should be living reminders of the presence of Jesus in this world. This is how Jesus continues to make the name of the Father known, even in our days. And as long as we have the Spirit, that will continue to happen. That's our mission. So that God's love will be manifested in and through us. Like that should be the heartbeat of a community of believers. That should be the heartbeat that distinguishes a follower of Christ. God's glory is now being manifested through God's people. God's presence being manifested through you and me. 
That's the kind of heart that aligns with our profession of faith. The word we, we proclaim, that the Father sent the Son to rescue us. That serves as a witness for the world when they see Jesus incarnate in his community of people with the church. So we've seen that Jesus' last desire for his people are three. To experience unity with the Father through him so that the world may know that Jesus came from God. To experience his glory in heaven so that we may witness the ultimate experience and to experience the Father's presence through his people so that God's love will be manifested in and through us. These three are Jesus' desires before his death and resurrection. The people he loves the most is being addressed to fulfill his desires. So my prayer this afternoon is that the community of believers of Harvest Muskoka and myself included would align to that heartbeat of Jesus' desires. That's the heart of community that we are seeking. So let's pray. Father, we need your help on this one. We confess, Father, so many times we don't incarnate Christ. We don't reflect your Son. We fail several times, and we know that even though we have your Spirit, we don't use your Spirit. Your Spirit is not being an influence sometimes. We want other things. We want to seek for glory in other stuff. We are needy. We need more of you. We need more of the fullness of your spirit. That's why we come to you this morning, Father, acknowledging that your word is truth, that what the disciples are being revealing to us in scriptures are truth, that this aligns to your heart, and this is what you want, a community, healthy community, so uncommon, so unworldly, that the world may see your light, your glory, the manifestation of the presence of God through the hearts of his people. Father, we pray that you would help us. Help us, Father. Humble us. Give us more of your will and less from our, our, from our will. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.